I want to continue from last week. If you haven't heard last week, it's pretty vital to what we're going to deal with uh, here tonight. But you can backtrack if you've missed it to any degree. Last week was of such vital importance. And I believe when the revelation and reality of it dawns upon you, it impacts your lifestyle, how you think about things. But here tonight, I want to go to part 11 in our series, and I want to deal with Jerusalem and Bible prophecy. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and what we're reading here tonight, you'll also find in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. But go on to Matthew 24. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. We're in a vital series on Israel, what next? And I brought you through all the things that are happening in our world, happening in Israel, what was spoken of in the Bible, straight through to the heart of Bible prophecy. Because I believe what happens in Bible prophecy now, which is revealed in many places in the Bible, that time and time and time again, you find the little city of Jerusalem. That's not accidental. No other city plays a central part on the stage of history and Bible prophecy, but Jerusalem does, and that isn't accidental. Reading from Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Then I want you to jump down to verse 15 with me. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea and in the mount flee unto the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. 
for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. For, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Let's pray together here tonight as we come to the word of God. You know, God has given us these things to awaken us, to stir us, to make us alert, to make us burn. It's not mere prophecy, intellectual information. If that's where it stops, you're wasting your time tonight. It was never given for that reason. It was given to stir you and to make you on fire. That's why all this teaching is given and Bible prophecy about things in the future is to make your heart hot. If it doesn't make your heart hot and only educates your mind, you have not heard what Bible prophecy is. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord God, that even tonight as we consider what the Bible says prophetically, that you reveal ages before they happen. Lord God, we know that the revelation of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, that prophecy is given in the scriptures, in the Bible, to reveal your son, to make him real, to reveal who he is, his majesty and his glory and his power and his sovereignty. Lord God, we're asking of you tonight, make us to stand in awe of our God, the God who saved us, who washed us, who forgave us, who redeemed us by his precious blood, who's coming back again in great glory and power. Lord God, that you'd make us to know that he is the one that uttered these words, 
for a reason to his disciples. And Father, I pray that they'll stir us here tonight, that they'll awaken us, that they'll give us an awareness that affects our home life and our workplace and our day-to-day being. Lord God, I pray, let us live in the light of eternity and let the spirit of prophecy quicken us tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. My message here tonight, Jerusalem and Bible prophecy. Jerusalem, the city, a small city, is the most fought over city in the entire world. Open up the history books and connect it intimately with this small city, this little bit of land, is Nebuchadnezzar the Great, Cyrus the Great, Alexander the Great, all the great Roman empires that we know so well. Many of the names or the incidents of great Catholic popes operating out of the city of Rome through the Crusades are all connected to this little city of Jerusalem. When you move then to Islam, to the wars of Islam and Muslims, caliphs, you again see them connected to the little city of Jerusalem. The entire Muslim world tonight is ablaze because of the little city of Jerusalem. World media from end to end, every nationality, every language is ablaze with information about this little city of Jerusalem. Don't tell me that's accidental tonight. My Bible says that this would happen in the last days. In the United Nations, resolution after resolution for years has been focused on the little city of Jerusalem. They even suggested, going back to 1947, that Jerusalem is unique amongst all cities of the earth and should be considered an international city. It has even been suggested by politicians and religious leaders that Jerusalem would become the center of world religions and it would be the focus of political power. Man after man, leader after leader has talked about this. All the great politicians of modern history have known that if they bring peace in the Middle East, their name shall be written down in history, never to be forgotten ages without end. It is a remarkable city, utterly extraordinary in every way. Wars have raged against Jerusalem. Terrorism of every kind has constantly been aimed at it and focused upon it. World nations have critiqued it in every single action that it's done. And almost only America has consistently acknowledged Jerusalem as the capital of the small modern state of Israel. The Bible is filled with its history, past, present, and future. No city is like this city. All the world, great generals, even consider it as logical, practical, and inevitable that Jerusalem will be the focus of the Third World War. When you go into the Bible, and I believe this, I believe the Bible yet prophesies many times and many things about Jerusalem, the present city of Jerusalem. 
I believe Ezekiel's war is focused upon it. I believe Zechariah chapter 12 through to 14, leading up to the coming of Messiah, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is focused on the little city of Jerusalem. I believe Armageddon, the war that is yet to come when all armies of the world are gathered to one place, Jerusalem is going to be the focus of that. And even as you read the Bible, Jerusalem is the focus at the beginning of the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth and of its end. You see, I believe Jerusalem plays a significant part in Bible history, not just in the past, not just in the present, but in the future. I believe there's prophecy after prophecy that actually names Jerusalem, infers it, speaks about it, about wars, opposition, conflict, and how it affects all nations of the world. Not only in the old world with Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander, and Roman emperors. Not only in the past, but right now. Look at the great world leaders who have their eyes fixed on this little city of Jerusalem. When we come to our Bible, Jerusalem is mentioned 670 times in the Old Testament. 144 times in the New Testament. And yet it's only mentioned zero times in the Quran. They will raise up and stir this generation to kill, to possess Jerusalem. And yet their holy book doesn't even mention it one single time. Utterly remarkable. But our, our Bible speaks about the coming, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in connection with it. Prophecy after prophecy lays out time sequence in connection with it. In fact, it's so intricate, you don't have a Messiah apart from a Jerusalem. That's how intricate they are connected in Bible prophecy. Because if one doesn't come to pass, then the other doesn't come to pass. I believe in our Bible, Jerusalem is connected to every prominent world empire that's ever existed or ever will exist. Saints of God, see tonight, I'm deeply concerned about the church, the body of Christ. I'm deeply concerned about you. I'm concerned about our world. The past four years, COVID, lockdowns, vaccines, everything that's happened for four years, you know what it convinces me of? Those that call themselves born-again, Bible-believing Christians were utterly unprepared, undiscerning, and unawake. Many solid, sound believers were not aware of the time or the season they're living in, and they were caught off guard. That ought to be a warning to you because that's nothing compared to what's coming. And yet the church wasn't ready. Let me bring you to Matthew 24 here tonight. And our subject, my title is Jerusalem and Bible prophecy. See, I believe Jerusalem has a part in Bible prophecy, not only in the past, but right now tonight and in the future. 
But as we've already dealt with, there are those in the church, teachers, pastors, Christians, some of them very godly, more than any of you in this room. But they believe different. There are many in reform circles who hold to amillennialism. They spiritualize the prophecies. They don't believe they're literally going to come to pass. They spiritualize Jerusalem. There's also another group I want to mention and deal with here tonight. And it's very important because you know what? YouTube, media, internet is being flooded with it. And I see a unique affecting of the church by this ideology, this prophetic way of interpretation. It's called preterism. An actual word, preterism, it means past. We could call it pastism, prophecy. In other words, they believe that most of the prophecies are in the past. All that we say is coming in the future. They say it was all fulfilled in the past. You get partial Peterists and you get full Peterists. Sorry, preterists. A full preterist doesn't even believe Jesus is physically, literally coming back or that the resurrection will happen physically. That's how far they go once you get onto this road. So I want to give you a warning because it's coming through, but it won't identify itself. You will hear arguments about a chapter in Matthew 24 or some other bit of scripture, but you don't even realize what you're dealing with. So I want you to be very very aware of what you're dealing with. Even John Calvin, the founder of the five points of Calvinism, so-called, he never done a commentary on the book of Revelation. He done it in every single book of the New Testament, preached through them all, verse by verse, produced books, volumes on every book in the New Testament, but not the book of Revelation. And he finished all the other books nine years before he died. So he had nine years to do it in, and he never done it. Some argue that he didn't understand it, therefore he didn't preach on it. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But that's what they say. He couldn't understand it, therefore he didn't teach on it. There have been other great men who didn't touch the book of Revelation because it confused them. Do you know why it confused them? Because they interpreted it wrong and it didn't fit. And so when we come to Matthew 24, there are amillennialists. Even Calvin himself said, Jesus coming on the clouds of the air was past, already fulfilled, no future. So I want you to listen because you'd be shocked, the sort of men who believe this. So Matthew 24, either it's talking about Jerusalem in the future, still in our future, and it talks about the holy place, and it talks about the Sabbath. You suckling, you mothers that are suckling your babes, you better pray it's not in the Sabbath. You know why? Because everyone's shut down. Isn't it amazing there was no Sabbath? For millennia, 
and then suddenly it came back in with the birth of Israel again. Isn't that fascinating? And so when you look at Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, either it's talking only about Israel before AD 70 or something's going to happen between now and the end where a temple's going to be rebuilt and many things are going to happen. So I want you to consider this. This chapter, Matthew 24, is it all fulfilled by AD 70 or is it yet to be fulfilled in the future? That defines an awful lot that gets taught in today's world. And so preterism gets spread far and wide. In Matthew 24, they deny that Jesus is literally coming physically in it. They don't believe that. Some of them go as far as denying a physical resurrection of the body. But this is what they all agree on. There's no restoration of Israel. And Israel today hasn't fulfilled any scripture. There'll be no temple. And Jerusalem is finished with. And there's no prophecies that put it at center stage. None whatsoever. They say it was all fulfilled in the first century. Do you remember what I preached last week? Let me just mention how they interpret it. Daniel 70 weeks, a prophecy about 490 years. I gave you a literal interpretation, accurate interpretation. They say it's not to be fulfilled literally. The 490 years or 70 weeks are not literal years. They just sort of vaguely get applied and fit in. And they give a way of interpreting it. Let me tell you how they interpret it. They don't put the 49 years as we did. From Artaxerxes through to Nehemiah. They don't do that. They do it from Cyrus. So they can't get their 49 years. So do you know what they say? It's a third of 49 years. It's almost 49 years. This is what you do when you begin spiritualizing things. They say it's from Cyrus to Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. Why do they change that? And they say it's not exactly 49 years. See, they're scared of getting the 49 years, literally. It's just a few years off. And then listen, they say the 434 years from then to Messiah... That's a sort of literal as well. So 49 years is a sort of near the mark, but we can't literally interpret it. And then all these centuries to Messiah is almost there, but you mustn't take it literally because they don't want you taking the last seven years literally. And then what do they do with the last seven years? I'm telling you the greatest teachers of this stuff, of amillennialism, and preterism, this is what they teach and say. This is how they explain it. I love this. I, I love to read their material. It convinces me of what I teach and preach. This is what they say. So that last week of Daniel, the last seven years, this is how they interpret it. 3.5 years, the first, goes from Christ's water baptism through until AD 70 when Jerusalem is destroyed. That's what some of them are saying. And then they say the next three and a half years reaches from the destruction of Jerusalem 
until Jesus Christ returns. So 49 years are almost on mark. The 434 years are almost there, but of course we know they're symbolic. And then three and a half years becomes 40 years, and the next three and a half years becomes 2,000 years. Now you've got a choice, either you believe a literal interpretation, what I present last week, or this is where you begin to go, because you can interpret it any way. Or here's another way they interpret it. Three and a half years from the baptism until the cross, and then from the cross to AD 70, almost 40 years. I want to tell you, I don't believe that. Because as soon as you don't interpret Bible prophecy, literally places, names, details, numbers, you get in serious trouble. Let's go to Matthew 24 and let's see, is Matthew 24 all still in our future or is it all in our past or is some of it fulfilled and some of it yet to be fulfilled? Look what it says in Matthew 24. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And the disciples came to him for to show him the building of the temple. Do you see the disciples coming to him in the temple? It was a spectacular building, a remarkable building, an admired building all across the Roman Empire. Even members of the church, disciples of Christ, Apostles were so impressed. Imagine, can you imagine them doing this? They go to Jesus and say, Master, look at the stones of the temple. They were amazed. They're in awe. I don't know who the, the person was who was most in awe of the building, of architecture. Some of these disciples were impressed with architecture. And here they are trying to say to the master, isn't it impressive? Isn't it remarkable how they approach him? And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, these shall, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now was that fulfilled 2,000 years ago, or is it yet to be fulfilled? See, I've got you thinking. This is the beginning of Matthew 24, and this is where the preterist will start you. He'll say, see, this chapter, you put it in the future. It was in the past. Do you not see what's written here? You haven't done your homework. You know why? Because Jesus is prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem that will take place in A.D. 70. And it was fulfilled. You and I know that was fulfilled. Listen again to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, 41. And when he was come near to Jerusalem, he beheld the city and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even now, at least... In this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, and they're still suffering for it. 
for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even to the ground, thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Listen to me carefully what actually happened, what Daniel prophesied and what Christ prophesied in the New Testament. In AD 70, Jerusalem was conquered by a Roman army. One million Jews of Israel died in that besiegement and that victory of the Roman army. 100,000 were sold as slaves. And this started the Jewish diaspora where they are scattered across all nations of the world that continued through until 1948. Rome usually did not scatter a nation. They conquered a nation. But this is what they done with Jerusalem and with Israel. That was AD 70. It was a tragedy. You know what they done? They even dug up the foundations of the temple, literally the stones of the temple. They went right down to the foundations. They brought down every wall. Today's Wayland Wall isn't a part of the temple like the Jews say it is. Every stone was torn down of the temple unless Jesus was a liar or made a mistake. Then just a little bit later, a generation later, there was a Jewish revolt. See, the city has been decimated, but the Jews are still in the land. And so in 132 AD, there was a Jewish revolt under Emperor Hadrian of Hadrian's wall fame. Under him, under his order against the Jews who have revolted, he gave a command. And there was 985 towns of Israel, Judea, Samaria, elsewhere, were utterly destroyed. He killed a further 580,000 men. The Jews were banished from Jerusalem and permanently exiled they were deprived of their homeland. And then Hadrian done this. He brought in Arabs to replace the Jews. And he called this little nation Israel, he called it Palestine. He renamed it. That's where the name Palestine originates from. Not from any Arab. I don't know where you know this, but Palestinians can't say Palestine in their own language properly because they've got a difficulty with the letter P. Imagine not being able to pronounce your own national homeland by its correct name. Because not within your language. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 13, you can discern the face of the sky, but can you discern the signs of the times? You Israel, you Jerusalem, I warned you. I wept over you. I would have gathered you like a mother hen, but you would not. You had religious leaders, people sitting every week in synagogue on the Sabbath, hearing the word of God, and it never affected their personal lives, never. Every week listening to the prophets. Just another sermon. And the entire city was heading for disaster. What a tragedy. 
And so back to Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, I'm prophesying about the destruction. Here, my own disciples, Peter, Matthew, John, the rest, and they're impressed with the building. He says, listen to me, not one stone will remain on top of another. Not one. You're going to get entrenched, besieged, destroyed. So is Matthew 24, is it all fulfilled or is it in the future? You ought to ask yourself some very serious questions. Because great men, great Bible scholars, great students of the Word believe it's all in the past. All of Matthew 24, or almost all. So here, before I get you worried, I want to give you reasons why I believe Matthew 24 is still future, apart from the first three verses. From verse 4, we jump not to the present time, but to a time ahead of us. I want you to listen. I'm going to give you six things from this chapter. I'm not going to expound it. I'm just going to explain it. I'm going to give you real, simple, clear reasons why I don't think it's all fulfilled. Apart from the first three verses. And that did happen. You listening carefully because this is sweeping the church world of our day. And I see a significant change in thinking. And you know what? If you, if you can prove that this is in the past, you can say God is finished with Jerusalem and with the Jew. And we are spiritual Jerusalem. And we are spiritual Jews. Do you see how this goes hand in hand? And then you don't see anything happening. And what alarms me, this is what alarms me. How is it the church of the past four years with the Bible in their hand are caught off guard and utterly confused and can't even see the hour we're living in? They don't see it. Do you realize across Britain and Ireland and Northern Ireland, entire denominations that used to preach these things, as soon as COVID hit, they were absolutely silent, not preaching on prophecy, not expounding revelation, not warning of what was happening, and they all submitted to government without question. That's scary. I'm talking about real pastors, supposed shepherds, and Christians in the church who ought to know the things of God. Do you know why they didn't? was the same reason Jesus warned the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scholars, and the scribes of his day. And he says, you cannot even discern the signs of the times. There are signs, but you don't even know how to discern them. Can I ask you in this meeting tonight, can you discern the signs on the world stage? Let me begin. Number one, the first reason I believe Matthew 24 is still future about the Sabbath, about a rebuilt temple, because it talks about the holy place, about Israel being back in our national land. Why well, I believe it's all f- present and future. First reason, number one, the end of the age defined. Let me define it because this will help clear up. Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? 
What's he just talked about? The destruction of Jerusalem, not one stone upon another. Down there in the temple, that's what he's talking. Then later, short time later, they've walked across the valley, up the sides of the mountain. Now they're on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking across the valley at the temple. They've had time to think from what he prophesied about Jerusalem's destruction, the destruction of the temple. Now they're on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking down. Now they've got all these questions. But like, those in LCC. There he's sitting with them on the side. When? Look where they start. When? We want to know timing. When are all these things going to happen? When shall these things be? When are these events going to happen? When are certain things going to happen? What is the timing? How shall we know? Ignorance is not blessed. If you're sitting here and you go, you're ignorant about prophecy and I don't understand it all, sure, it's okay. It's not okay. You ought to know the times and the seasons and the hour you're living in. You know why? If you settle down into your nice lifestyle, marriage and house and job, I warned you at the beginning of COVID. I so warned you. And I went, they they don't actually realize how long this is going to last. I said it's going to last over two years, two and a half years. I said it's not a normal hour. And I I want to tell you, you better realize as you look at the trouble in Jerusalem and Israel, this is not a normal hour. On your television screen every single night, you know what it's warning you? These prophecies, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's about to come to pass. Great events, world events. And so they come and say, when shall these things be? And then they say, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? Do you see how they connect Christ coming to Jerusalem? Events with the person of Christ. They don't separate them. When, time and where, who, the coming of Christ. And they want to know the sign of the coming. In other words, give us indicators. Guess what Christ does? He gives them indicators. People today say, there's no signs, no symbols. We shouldn't be looking. We're going to get caught off guard. He's going to come as a thief in the night. Under those in darkness, not to a believer. You ought to know the signs. You ought to know the seasons. You ought to know the hour you're living in. You ought not to be ignorant. Definitely not. And so they ask him, what is the sign, singular, of thy coming? What's a sign? It's an indicator. I've said this often. I'm surprised I haven't gotten in trouble for it yet. But the Irish are some of the worst drivers I've ever come across as far as indication. They don't use their indicators. Do you know what they do? They slow down. They move And then at the last moment, they indicate. That's not what an indicator is for. Jesus isn't saying, everything's going to happen. The world's going to change. And then I'll give you indicators. What a waste of time. Indicators go first. You have an indicator in your car to go, I'm thinking of slightly slowing down. Indicator goes on. Before I even take my foot off the accelerator, that's an indicator. An indicator tells the person behind you, you know what it tells them? 
I'm about to consider breaking, slowing down, or moving. You don't do anything until you give an indicator. And so here the disciples are saying, give us an indicator. In other words, a sign, an indication. These things are going to say, Jesus is coming. Those who say there's no signs for Jesus coming, they're biblically wrong. Because here's the disciples asking, and then Jesus gives them. And then notice what they say, and the end of the world. This is my first point, the end of the age defined. If you define this, you won't say it's all in the past. You see, these preterists and emails, etc., they all say, some of them say, that the end of the age or the end of the world was the end of the Jewish age. God being finished with Jerusalem and the Jew and with Israel. And so when they ask, and the end of the world, notice what's connected to these questions. When shall these things be? And the end of the world and the sign of thy coming. You've got to put them all together. That's what they do. That's why they spiritualize the coming of the Son of God. See, they they change things and it damages Scripture. What is the end of the world? The word world there is the word aeon. It means the end. It's talking about the age, a period of time. It means the consummation, the end of the world. In other words, the age at the end or at the end of an entire age. It's consummation, fulfillment, completion. Having moved through a long period of time, it comes to an end. And so what they say, they say the end was the end of Israel, Jerusalem, the nation. And now God was going to move to the church. That's the end of the age. That's how they interpret it. Great men have interpreted it like that. That's why I'm saying this is my first point. The end of the age defined. If you understand this, this helps you see it's future, not past. They said the end of the age was 2,000 years ago. I utterly disagree. Look with me at the word end here in verse 3. The end of the world. Then look at verse 6. The end is not yet. He begins to give signs. And as he's given signs, he says these signs are going to come to pass, but the end is not yet. Then verse 13, it talks about us enduring until the end. But most importantly, look at verse 14. Then shall the end come. So you can tell when the end comes. So what he says in verse 3 about his coming, about these things concerning Jerusalem, and concerning the end of the world or the end of the age. When is this end of the age going to come? Well, it says in verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Look what he says. You can know when the end of the age is. Did this happen in AD 70? Absolutely not. Jesus says, you know the end, the end of the age, the time you're to endure until you know it. How will you know it? This gospel that we are preaching, you apostles, 
me as Christ. The gospel we are preaching. Do you know what? It's going to be preached. I mean, in one generation, it's going to be getting preached in all of the world, in every nation. This gospel, a certain kind of gospel, as a witness, the word witness there is martos. It means to lay down your life, to be a martyr. It's where we get our word martyr. So this gospel is going to be preached, proclaimed publicly, loudly, clearly, distinctly in every nation of the world. Did that happen by AD 70? Absolutely not. It had only begun to go out across the Mediterranean and begin penetrating into Europe. It did not go into every nation at all. So this is my first thing, the end of the age defined. I believe Matthew 24 is talking future tense, not past tense for us, because the end of age is yet to come. The end of the age, let me define it, is going to be a time when the real gospel is getting preached in every single nation of the world with power, with effect. There's going to be a witness. There's going to be a people in every nation who believe the gospel. That didn't happen 2,000 years ago in AD 70. It is our generation. It is happening now that the gospel is going out. So that's my first thing. And that's only a beginning. Number two, the abomination of desolation. Look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Jesus is given a sign. You know, Matthew 24, first of all, he gives you the beginning of sorrows, 10 general signs, general signs, the beginning of sorrows. These are warnings that you're getting close. But then he moves on to specific six events, beginning in verse 15. This is the sign of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. They say this was fulfilled in the past. They go back to Antiochus Epiphanes, who we dealt with in our Daniel series. Remember him? He was the Grecian who rose up, invaded Israel, took Israel as a nation, walked into the temple and sacrificed a pig and shed its blood on the altar. And of course, you know, a pig is an abomination for a Jew. He was desecrating the temple. And they say that was the fulfillment of it. Others point to some Roman emperor erecting a statue of himself in the holy place. And they say that was the fulfillment of it. Let's look at this for a second to see what it says. Because they say those things happen. It's already been accomplished. The abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about, it's been fulfilled. Well, let's see if it has. Over in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, it says, And from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, it's torn about a time when the blood sacrifices 
stop at the altar, the Jewish ritual blood sacrifices, and the abomination gets set up. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm giving you a sign concerning my coming again and the end of the age. This abomination, where's it going to be? In the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. In other words, you could miss this. You've got to study. You've got to think. You've got to search. This abomination is mentioned four times in Daniel. Four different times it talks about a abomination of desolation. Two of those times in chapter 8 and chapter 11 is talking about Antiochus who comes previously. It's direct prophecies about him. He is a type of the Antichrist. But there are two other chapters. Chapter 9 and chapter 12 are prophesying about another incident that Antiochus did not fulfill and no one else has ever fulfilled. The blood sacrifice was stopped and an abomination will get erected in there. You know, Jesus refers time and time again in Matthew 24 back to Daniel. He speaks about the abomination. He then speaks about his own revelation and he speaks about the tribulation. All of that is in Daniel. He is quoting teaching from Daniel and explaining it more fully. You won't understand Daniel, you need to understand Matthew 24. If you won't understand Matthew 24, you need to go back and study the book of Daniel. They're all connected. What is the abomination of desolation? The word abomination, it means an idol or an image. The abomination of desolation is an image getting set in the holy place that desolates, it lays it waste, it ruins the entire temple and the nation and the city. This abomination of desolation is an image, a statue. It says in Mark 13, 14, standing where it ought not to. Or in Luke 21, 20, it says, Jerusalem compassed with armies. They know that the, devast, the, the, know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Do you know what's going to happen with Jerusalem? It's going to be surrounded by armies. Then this image gets put there. We know Jerusalem's been surrounded by armies many times. But how do you know it's that army and that besiegement? How do you know? Because there's going to be an image right there in the holy place. That's how you're going to know that the great tribulation is about to start. Or listen in Revelation. And here, these preterists, interpret Revelation all in the past. Revelation's been fulfilled. That's what they teach. The entire book of Revelation, fulfilled, complete in AD 70. You don't need to wrestle about it anymore. You don't need to look for it anymore. There's all those judgments and wrath an outpouring of vials and revelation. Don't worry, it's not going to happen in your future or your generation. It's all fulfilled in Jerusalem in AD 70. What a disaster. It says in Revelation 13, 14, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. 
and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. This is the same abomination. It's an image. It's an idol. It's a statue. It's the abomination of desolation. Look, it's going to initiate the great tribulation. But in Revelation, it says he makes it to speak and to act. Antiochus's pig couldn't do that. I want to tell you, a dead pig on the altar cannot speak. A Roman statue of a Caesar in the first century could not speak and could not put men to death. Utterly impossible. But look at Revelation. It talks about this image. It can speak and it causes everyone that will not worship the image of the beast that they should be killed. This image in the holy place in Jerusalem can speak and has power and will know everyone on earth. And will know what decision they make on the earth. This image, where is it? Jesus said, in the holy place. This is not past. It's never been fulfilled, the abomination of desolation. It is yet future. And you know what that tells me? That tells me there's going to be a rebuilt temple because it says Antichrist will put this abomination, this statue, this image that can speak in the holy place. Third of all, the extent of the trouble in Matthew 24. They say all of this was fulfilled by AD 70. The extent of the trouble. Look with me, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. When? When the abomination of desolation is set in that secret place. Then. For then shall be great tribulation. What's the sign? The abomination, such as was not seen. Great tribulation. It's the word affliction. It means pressure, anguish, trouble. And it says great tribulation. The word great is mega, enormous tribulation. There'll be such great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world until this time. The destruction of Jerusalem was terrible. A million died. Half a million taken away as prisoners. But I want to tell you, there's been terrible times in our world throughout history. But this is an event that's going to happen. Centered or initiated at Jerusalem. The great tribulation begins at Jerusalem. Not in Ireland or America or Europe or Russia it begins at Jerusalem. The sign is in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And this tribulation that breaks out, there'll have been nothing since the beginning of the world and there'll be nothing worse until the end of the world. And it says that no flesh would be, sa <coughs> be saved if the Lord didn't <coughs> shorten the days. Pardon me. The word shorten means to curtail, to restrict, or to minimize. I believe God's curtailed it to three and a half years. That doesn't mean he shortens the days. He's not going to wait till then and then say suddenly, stop everything. 
It means he has in prophetic promises said only three and a half years. I'm restricting it. This time's going to be so bad, no flesh will be left. That didn't happen in AD 70. Don't tell me that what happened in AD 70 in Jerusalem, one million Jews killed, that nothing until the end of world history will be worse than that. You know that's not true. The Holocaust was worse than that. And that's only one incident. What about all the other bad things in our world in the past 2,000 years? If this was fulfilled in AD 70, I've got a lot of questions. But I don't believe that. I believe it's yet future. And at Jerusalem, there is coming a time of tribulation that will be initiated against Israel and spread throughout the world. And it's going to center around this abomination of desolation that it's going to be so bad, nothing before or after it will ever compare. This great tribulation is the worst event on the face of the earth. And so that's the third thing. Do you know what it says here in Matthew 24, verse 9? <clears throat> and these are one of the be beginnings of sorrows. And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, speaking to his disciples, and they'll kill you. And you should be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This isn't the great tribulation. This is before the great tribulation. Now you tell me this. By AD 70, were the disciples who followed Christ hated by all nations by AD 70? No. But I tell you, Prior to the great tribulation, disciples of Christ will be hated and killed in all nations. And that's not the tribulation. Because the great tribulation is the worst thing that ever takes place. Again, Daniel prophesies about this in chapter 12, verse 1. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, talking about Jerusalem, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. It's saying that at the end of that great tribulation, the worst time in history, Israel will be delivered. God's people, Daniel's people be delivered. That didn't happen in AD 70. That was just the beginning of their troubles. And for 2,000 years they've had troubles, so they're not delivered. Here's a fourth thing. A literal, unparalleled cosmic signs. Literal, unparalleled cosmic signs. Look at verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation. See how this follows in order. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This is what I call the cosmic blackout at the end of the tribulation. How do you know the tribulation has ended? There's a cosmic blackout that marks the end of it. 
the abomination initiates it. The cosmic blackout marks the end of it, and it's a three and a half year period. But look at these verses. Do you know what all these great scholars of preterism say? This was fulfilled in, before, or just after AD 70. And they say, of course, it's not literal. You're not to take this literally. It's symbolic. It's pictorial. It's the sign of God's judgment. The sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens being shook. It's just symbolic of the judgment that took place at Jerusalem, isolated to a city and a nation. And that was the fulfillment of this. I don't believe that at all. I want to tell you. It says in Matthew 24 and 30, and then shall a, sorry, let me just go back a bit. In Luke chapter 21, 25, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. So look here, it's talking about these great bodies of light. There's going to be signs, indicators. So now you've got signs. Jesus is teaching signs. Now he's given signs within signs. One of the signs is this cosmic blackout. And within it are signs. That's never happened. Where people note and see it's the end of the tribulation. If this happened in AD 70, there's no more tribulation for the little nation of Israel or for the Jew or for Jerusalem. Their tribulation is over. And I want to tell you, it is not over. It's well underway. It's happening. You know, all through the Bible, we have the same cosmic blackout. It is never spiritualized. I'll tell you what spiritual language looks like. Here, it actually says, Jesus teaches, the sun shall be darkened. Elsewhere, it gives symbolic language. The sun, the moon will be turned to blood. What does that mean? He's killed them. That's symbolic language. The moon. One night, my granny, she woke in the middle of the night. She heard a noise and the entire room was filled with pitch red. She panicked. She didn't realize my granddad had reversed up in the reversing light, had filled the whole room with red light. That reversing light. I'm going to tell you, when it says the moon turns to blood, it's saying that's symbolic language. But here and elsewhere, when it says the sun is going to stop shining, that is literal, physical. It's going to happen. Listen to where else this is prophesied. Isaiah 13, verse 10. Isaiah 5, verse 30. Isaiah 24, verse 21 to 23. Isaiah 60, verse 19 to 20. Isaiah had a lot to say about this. Also, Ezekiel 32, verse 7 and 9. Joel chapter 2, verse 10. And Joel, verse 30 to 31. Joel 3, verse 14 to 15, Amos chapter 5, verse 18 to 20, and again in chapter 8, verse 9, Haggai chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, and verse 21 to 22. Then in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, verse 20, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 to 17, all 
literally prophesied of an event that's never happened in world history. Saints, I'm telling you, Matthew 24 did not get fulfilled at AD 70. I'm just giving you simple, little logical points. Never let anyone tell you that Matthew 24 was all fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem. It's utterly impossible. But for me, this is maybe the most important one, point five, a literal coming of Christ. Matthew 24, verse 27. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is Jesus teaching about his coming again. Do you know what it's going to be like? Like the lightning. I, don't, I know we don't get much lightning here. But if you've ever been in Africa and I stood out there, you go out to see it and you stand there and the entire sky from east to west is lit up. It's remarkable. With the lightning, it, it, it literally enlightens the entire landscape and every eye is fixed upon it. Utterly remarkable. Then Jesus says, verse 30, and then shall appear. What do you mean, and then? After the cosmic blackout, these are all events that happen. One, when will it happen? When are you coming? What are the signs? I'll give you signs. I'll tell you when. Do you know, as you go through this chapter, Matthew 24, you read the words, then, when, immediately afterwards. This is time sequence. This isn't simply things prophesied. You're given things in order. Six things in Matthew 24. Six things that are going to happen, one after the other, in exact order. Those exact things. And so he says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you know what Calvin said? And you know what N.T. Wright says? A box N.T. Wright, I want to tell you. He's a heretic. And he's famous as an academic. All these people from preachers, evangelicals, Pentecostals, Baptist brethren... And they're all reading them. Woe unto you if you read poison like this. You deserve to be deceived. You really do. This stuff is bad. And I want to tell you, God tests the heart. What did Jesus, what was the scripture saying? There must needs be heresies among you. Not word heresies means teachings that divide the body of Christ. There has to be, there must. Do you realize God uses everything that goes on in the church, every teaching, every movement, every prophet to test your heart? In the Old Testament, why did God say, I will send prophets, false prophets among you? Why? To test your heart whether you'll keep the word of God or not. You need to be very careful. See, every false movement and false teaching that comes through, it's to test your heart. There must needs be divisions. Little issues have to rise where people gather around this little thing and gather around this little thing. It must needs be. You know why? Because it's revealing who you are, what you are, and what you're going to hold to. Be very, very careful. And so it says concerning the coming of the Son of Man. Many of these teachers, they say, 
In Matthew 24, Jesus coming on the clouds, N.T. Wright, this is what he says. He says, he isn't going to descend on a cloud. He isn't going to descend out of heaven. It's all symbolic. The clouds are symbolic. The power is symbolic. All of the judgments are symbolic. What it really means is Jesus came back to Jerusalem in AD 70, and he judged Jerusalem. He came in power. He judged her. He scattered her. He destroyed her. And this is the symbolic language. I do not believe that. I want to tell you, the Son of Man is coming. The word coming is parousia. It means the arrival of a great emperor, a great leader. The parousia, the revealing, the manifestation, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says? You know what Jesus said? I'm going to come in the clouds of heaven. I'm going to come as I went away. Are we going to start messing with the text that says he ascended in the clouds? Is that not literal? You need to be careful how far you go. These men who do not believe Israel is literal in our day. They begin to mess with everything. We are spiritual Israel. We are already resurrected. Jesus isn't coming back literally. In Matthew 24, even some of the reformers and reform movements read their commentaries and the old scholars. Let me give you another warning. Don't you go back to denominational scholars and drink all that they taught. Don't go to Martin Lloyd-Jones and say, because he was a great man and a gifted man, I'll drink everything he taught. You'll get messed up in your theology. He was a great man. And he was a great man, so I'll just believe everything they teach. You'll get yourself in serious trouble. Go back to your Bible. Sixth and finally, which generation? I'm going to conclude in this. Which generation? This is my sixth point. I've given you six reasons. Matthew 24 isn't speaking about AD 70. Listen to what it says. And this is what they say. Matthew 24, 34. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this generation, this one, his, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Do you know what they teach? That scripture, you're to believe it. They say this generation is his generation with the apostles. A generation is 40 years. Now they're back to being literalists. 40 years, a generation. This generation your generation of Matthew 24 will not pass away until all these prophecies are fulfilled. So the predators say, see, he begins with talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And now he's come all the way through and now he's saying, this generation, your generation will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. And that's why by AD 70, they say it's all over. All, this entire chapter is fulfilled. How are you going to respond to them with that? 
How are you going to respond? I got raised with another teaching, but it's almost as bad. From a little boy. I got raised being told this verse talked about this generation. Just look with me for a second, the context of this verse. Look at verse 32. Just the verses before it give the context. Verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that the summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So those I grew up under, hearing them preach, this is what they said. But I disagree with them now. They weren't preterists. Preterists. They weren't putting it 2,000 years ago. But do you know what I grew up with? Ah, this is the answer. That generation is the fig tree generation. Israel is the fig tree. And when she blossoms and Jerusalem comes back into the hand of the Jew, then that generation begins. So from 1967, when Jerusalem got fully, completely put back in the hands of the Jew, now one generation begins. And that generation that saw the restoration of Israel and Jerusalem will not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. I was raised with that. And see today, lots still preach that. But it's not true. It doesn't say that. It's given the fig tree as a symbol, as a picture. Just like the fig tree, when it begins to blossom and it puts forth, then you know summer is nigh. How do you know summer's coming? Look at the fig tree. You look at the fig tree and it's growing and starting to bring forth. I know summer is coming. He doesn't mention Israel. He says, so likewise when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near at the door. You know what he's saying? As soon as you see these things begin to come to pass, that generation doesn't mention the restoration of Jerusalem or Israel as a state. It says the things I'm prophesying, once they begin, that generation will not pass. In other words, it will all happen within your lifetime. As soon as this kicks off, that's it. See those other Bible teachers, they try to say, it is talking about Jesus' day. No, it's not. It's talking about that generation that begin to see all these things come to pass. They will see everything come to pass. Saints of God, I've simply given you six things here to show you Matthew 24. Do you know what it shows me concerning the coming of Jesus in connection with the hour of his coming again, his physical, visible, literal coming? That there is going to be an Israel in place and they're going to have the Sabbath in place and there's going to be a holy place. And Israel will be a state again. And all nations are going to turn against her. And Jesus has connected his return. And the end of the age or the end of the world has connected it 
with the events happening in this little city of Jerusalem. And those who theologically say Jerusalem plays no part in Bible prophecy have played games. Do you see what happens? If you begin doing this, move away from a literal interpretation of prophecy, you go into Daniel's prophecy and make from Christ's crucifixion to the destruction of the temple, almost 40 years, you say, that's the three and a half years. And three and a half years is also the time from his water baptism to his crucifixion. I can't mean both. And you start to say Jesus coming on the clouds. That's symbolic in judgment in AD 70. You need to be very, very careful who you listen to, what you believe, because it's not going to affect you what you do and how you see our world in the next few years. Because I want to tell you, I believe all the signs of the time point to the 2020s maybe being the most significant decade since the end of the first century. And we are seeing everything suddenly coming to pass. But can I ask you, what are you doing with your life? And how are you living your life? And how does this impact you and your decisions and your attitude and your heart and your conversations and your relationships? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, O God, for these prophecies given by the lips of your beloved Son given us warnings, warnings concerning deception, warnings concerning our own hearts, our attitudes, becoming lazy, Lord God, becoming slack, becoming deceived by false prophets, by false teachers, by those that would say that this isn't yet or it's already happened. Father, I pray that you protect us, that you guard us, that you light a fire, that we are literally beginning to witness the, the, the end of all things and the fulfilling of all prophecies within a short period of time. Help us to look up. Help us to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Help us to make ourselves ready. Help us, O oh God, to be waiting with expectation, nor God longing, desiring the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We are looking for you. We are waiting for you. We are a bride that is making herself ready because we realize the lateness of the hour. We recognize the signs of the times. We can discern the hour that we're living in and it propels us into a state of urgency. It makes us, oh God, to be ready, not to build on the things of this life, but oh God, to prepare ourselves for the age to come. Lord God, hide this in our hearts. Lord God, lest we be led astray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.